Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabbat, to discuss the Alaska-Hawaiian deal and the pros and cons of putting the two airlines together. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this December week? Oh, just another boring week in the airline industry. Nothing ever happens with airlines. No, nothing here. Nothing that got us uh, out of uh, out of <laughs> out of our stupor this Sunday at all. I, I was I was driving uh, when I got your text uh, about the big news, which uh, I'm sure our readers uh, are. We're, and we're talking, by the way, on Tuesday. So, so it's if been anyone's couple- been hiding uh, under a, under a log, I should say <laughs> the big news is Alaska Airlines is going to buy Hawaiian Airlines. For 1.9 billion, that's uh, 1 billion plus about 100, 900 million in net debt, and uh, that dropped Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So, and that uh, was uh, something interestingly that uh, you may have, if you've, if you're a regular listener to the uh, Airline Week- Weekly Lounge podcast, we uh, we discussed the possibility of that uh, uh, on at least two two occasions um, that I can recall. So it's not something that uh, came out of nowhere. I think it's, uh, you know, within the industry has been discussed before as a possibility. Uh, But here we are. It's been discussed many, many times. But the truth is, is I think everyone was surprised at the timing, but no one is surprised at the deal. That is a good way to describe it. (laughs) Yeah, that is a good way to describe it. Anytime something like this happens, it's, yeah, wow, here it is. So exactly. But but it's not, uh, the idea itself is not completely out of nowhere. It's not as if... uh, you know, Aeroflot and United are merging or anything like that. It wasn't <laughs> wasn't that sort of wasn't that sort of a surprise. Just a bit, just a bit. So today, folks, what our plan to do is we're going to talk about the positives and the negatives of the deal. But before we kick off, we don't want to give any bias here. So I have a trusty old quarter in my hand. And I'm going to flip it. Now, Jay, you tell me heads or tails. Um, are we going to do positives or negatives for which which one? OK, why don't we say if it lands on heads, we'll do the positives first and then we'll do the negatives. And if it lands on tails, vice versa. All right. Positives, heads, negatives, tails. Here we go. And we have heads. OK, so we'll do we'll uh, we're going to pretend then in the beginning that we are lawyers for this deal and we'll argue why uh it's a good good idea we'll enumerate the positives and then we'll uh after the break we'll switch and do this sounds good well well jay this deal makes so much sense it is the best deal ever it's gonna make everyone better i'm uh, just singing its praises oh my goodness yeah this is uh, i've never seen anything like it before but uh and uh well tell me why ned why do you why is this deal so fantastic well you know alaska is alaska and hawaiian are two somewhat niche airlines. Alaska um, is very big on the West Coast, dominates Pacific Northwest. Hawaiian is, um, I don't know if they dominate Hawaii. They are, definitely have the largest share in Hawaii. But there are two airlines that have kind of run out of places to grow. You know, Hawaiian recently announced new service to Salt Lake City, which is great. You know, they can add some more of those second tier Western destinations to the network. But you know, their Asian network isn't performing like it once was, you know, they just, they've had fleet issues. They just, they don't have any options on the table. Alaska's got capacity constraints in Seattle and San Francisco and LA. You know, it's, it's a good deal that promises growth for both airlines. Right. And that's Salt Lake, uh, interesting enough. I think they've added, what was a couple other Sacramento routes too. I think what's Hawaiian has been forced to do is because Japan and Asia have been so slow to come back post pandemic. They've been 
sort of forced to find uh, new homes for those wide bodies. And what this deal interestingly would do would, uh, you know, be, you'd be able to take uh, in the event of something like that, where Japan wasn't working anymore, there wasn't any growth opportunities at the moment, you could take us uh, an A330 or in the future a 787 and fly it from Seattle instead and, uh, you know, had send it over to London or over to Asia from Seattle. So you do, uh, this deal just introduces new versatility uh, with what you can do uh, having rather than just really one hub like Honolulu or one major hub like Seattle, you can sort of flip flip around. So a lot of, a lot of fleet flexibility there. Absolutely. And, you know, Alaska CEO Ben Minicucci spoke exactly to that on Sunday during his briefing saying, you know, they're not making decisions now, but it's definitely the deployment of those wide bodies as something they can do down the road. Now, another reason for this deal is the loyalty program. You have Hawaiians loyalty program, which, you know, is niche. Again, it focuses on Hawaii, people living there, people wanting to travel there. Alaska's got a larger program that serves the West Coast, but you put those together and you start to get much bigger loyalty program, one that starts to compete more with with the, the big guys. It allows them to get better credit card deals, which we know are highly lucrative. Like these are reasons to combine and get bigger. Right. Ne- never, ever underestimate the earnings power of a loyalty plan and the associated credit card, uh, particularly in the U.S. Uh, for U.S. airlines. Um, so very, very big part of the deal. I think they actually I don't have in front of me. Is it something like a third of all the expected merger synergies Alaska is promising here is from loyalty. And if you look back at the Virgin uh, America takeover, which Alaska did uh, back whenever it was 2016-ish, uh, that I think a big part of the synergies there were on the loyalty side. So, so clearly a lot of potential there. Absolutely. I, I just did the numbers. It's 85 million in revenue synergies from loyalty, and that's about 36% of the total. So you're, you're right, just over a third. Okay, there you go. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so big part. I think you're absolutely right to point that out. Uh, I just, just to take a step back, um, I think some of the things we, we've spoke about before in this podcast is that Alaska does have some concerns about where it can grow long-term given that Seattle tends to be where it makes most of its money. So there's naturally some reluctance to uh, grow too fast from a place like Portland, which probably can't support all that much. And then once you start getting into growing from San Francisco and Los Angeles, it just these are just extremely competitive markets. So you're just never going to get the margins that you can get in Seattle. And one issue in Seattle, you probably do have some growth left there. Uh, but one issue is that airport space is pretty scarce. There's there's not a whole lot of room to expand the airport. So eventually you kind of run up, you know, it kind of becomes like the, the, the Heathrow situation. <laughs> Maybe not that extreme, but to the you point need to where... keep up gauging. And, and that's what Alaska wants to do. They got their max 10s in order, but that only gives them about, what, 15, 20 more seats per departure. Exactly. So if you can put a 787 in there and send that, remember, you don't have to throw the 787 to, I mean, yeah, London might be nice. Maybe that would work or Seattle, Tokyo, but you can do London Transcon with the 787, certainly in the summer. I can't see why Seattle, New York uh, or Seattle, Boston and, and, you know, the third quarter can't make money. So uh, yeah. And there's your growth right there. You get a lot of ASM growth just by, by applying Hawaiian's bigger aircraft. So, so absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's your growth. And, um, and you know, now, one of the things that you're really getting to here, Jay, is 
scale matters. In this industry, scale really matters. Very and much. bringing Alaska and Hawaiian together, it'll only create an airline that has, I want to say, a 6 to 7% share of seats in the U.S. market. But it will give them a 360 plus plane fleet that's more scale to deal with manufacturers, all the, the delivery delays, more scale, just work with con with suppliers, everything like it really helps across the board, even though it's still not a huge airline. It's definitely bigger and scale, like I said, matters. And I want to submit this to you. I agree with all that. I want to submit. It. So let, let's see if our, our listeners agree with this. But if you look back. Uh, every single airline merger from, from let's, let's start with 2005 U.S. Airways, America West. Good place to start. Yep. Every single, and you went through, you, you wrote a, an excellent feature this week. We'll uh, drop that, a link to that in the show notes. Yep. That goes through all the big mergers. Now, every single big, every single merger, and I'm making one exception here that you pointed out to me uh, that I forgot about, but Frontier Republic. Let's throw that aside for a second. <laughs> it's a yeah. it's a tiny one, but the Delta Northwest, the American U.S. Airways, United Continental, Southwest AirTran, Virgin Alaska. You can go on and on. Um, I did probably miss one or two in there, but anyway, all of them, I would submit, I would, I would, were successful. Like every single one of them worked out in the end. It wasn't that they weren't bumps along the way, operational hiccups, and some took longer for the synergies to realize than others. But I think in retrospect, I don't think any of those would, if they had to do them over again, they would. Like I think, I think, I think they all worked out well. So if you start from that premise, then sure, Alaska, you know, buying Hawaiian, uh, the track record is pretty good. <laughs> so, and now, one thing that they said, I mean, Alaska said that, you know, we don't need this merger and, you know, you take that as you will. But I think one of the reasons why they liked it so much at this time is because of the price. I mean, sometimes it just comes down to something that's simple. So if you go back, Hawaiians, let's call it their heyday, their glory day, their glory days were like 2017, 2018-ish. And at the that time- era. The dunk, yeah, or even I think when did Ingram come out? I'm not sure, but uh, but but yeah, it's it's I think that whole kind of uh late 2010s probably probably overlapped with, with the two different administrations there. I can't remember when it switched, but in any case, um if you go look at the stock price of Hawaiian at that time, let's say 2017, 2016 ish, uh it was about $50, something like $50 a share. So it would have been very expensive to buy Hawaiian at that time. Well, Hawaiian last week was trading at $5 a share. And that's because of all the problems that they've been having with, you know, we've talked about Japan, we've talked about their, you know, gear turbofan engine woes and uh, weak demand to Maui, thanks to the wildfires. Weak, correct. Yep. There's, there's that as well. So um, I think Alaska just looked at this and it's like, okay, we're going to pay whatever, was it $18 a share? I can't remember. $18 a share. $18 a share. We're going to pay $18. That's, that's a good deal. Now, of course, you're betting that you can get Hawaiian back to where it was or something. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't have to be. No, but I mean, pre, pre-pandemic, they were trading in, I, I looked at the numbers. I want to say it was the 20s, upper 20s. So, I mean, it's not even back to where it was. It was, it's maybe two thirds of the way back. It's, it's, you know, some recovery, but not, not, not the hate, not the golden era, not the heyday. Right, right. It looked, I think like 2019, right before the pandemic, it looked like it was about 28. So like close to 30. 
Um, so even just forgetting about the actual price of the stock, but when I say getting it back to where it was, I mean, getting it back, ultimately, when you're buying, uh, you know, you're, you're not, Alaska is not just buying this as a financial investment, they're buying a business. So ultimately, they need to get this thing back to, you know, where it's making money again, or else it's not going to, now, obviously, they believe they can. They believe that what we're seeing from Hawaiian today, what we're what we've seen from them over the last, you know, two or three years is not representative. They they say, you know, that's this is an anomaly. It's these are temporary problems. We're going to get, you know, this is a Hawaii's a just a fantastic tourism market. It's been that way for for decades. Uh, and um, you know, we can go on and we have we have lists of, of things here that uh uh you know that are that are you know reasons reasons why Hawaiian uh, was so so strong at the time. I mean, frankly, one reason is that it's kind of uh, I don't want to say you know free of low cost carriers. Obviously, Southwest is competing now, but you know you don't have Spirit, you don't have Frontier in that market. You know it's a very high yield market, and even and when Southwest, Allegiant Allegiant tried to do it as a as a low cost operation, and they failed. Couldn't they make it out. work. Couldn't yeah. make it work. And I think part of the problem there was that they didn't really have the product for it. It's a very long haul stage length going from continental U.S. to Hawaii. And I frankly, I think that's Southwest problem, too. They don't have the, the product for it. So Hawaiians just been I mean, they they have invested a lot in their premium, uh, you know, premium cabins. So and you're making the what, point. The last point I wanted to make about this deal. You, go, premium. Yeah. Oh, you take it over. <laughs> Hawaiian brings a larger premium um sort of footprint percentage of seats that are premium are as higher than Alaska to Alaska. And as we've seen in, in the recovery, there are you know really three things that are important. It is scale, it is loyalty, and it is premium. And that and this merger checks those boxes for Alaska. It brings them more premium, more scale, and a larger loyalty program. Yeah, all those all those things I think are are very compelling. Uh, shall we? Uh, shall shall we take a break and have... and talk about why this deal shouldn't happen? Yep, we're gonna uh, yeah turn turn our turn our hats around and we'll uh, we'll act we'll act as lawyers for the other side now. And we're back. So so Jay, I, there's this terrible deal in the market that's gonna hurt consumers. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's this Alaska wants to buy Hawaiian. What are those guys thinking? Craziness. They're going to burn up money and fares will go up. Madness. Absolute madness. And we can start by uh, talking about just the inherent complexity that this is going to introduce to Alaska. Now, remember that Alaska is pretty much an all 737 carrier. Boeing 7, they've, they've gotten rid of their Airbuses. I think they're all gone now, right? right they're now, all gone. Year. I mean, it was just a few months ago. They they. They flew their last A321neo off into the horizon, into the great horizon in the sky. Thanks for that segue, because Horizon, their subsidiary uh, that flies regional routes, does continue to operate some Embraer jets. So it's not completely Boeing narrow body. But in any case, it's a very streamlined uh, fleet. And you'd have to believe that that is at least somewhat uh, an important reason why Alaska has been so successful. Uh, now you introduce say 330s, you introduce a 321 neos, you introduce soon, you know, 787s, you introduce 717s. Starts to get to be a pretty messy airline. It really does. You know, the not, not to mention, I was uh, sorry to just, I was yeah. going to continue the thought there that uh, Sabre is uh, the passenger service system that um, the uh, that Alaska uses. 
whereas a Hawaiian just cut over to Amadeus. So you're going to have a complex, you know, they're going to have to decide one or the other and then they're going to have to integrate it. So another layer of complexity there. Yeah. So, you know, that's going to create some challenges. And we've all heard the horror stories of, of passenger service system cutovers at, let's see, U.S. Airways and America West back in 2006, I believe it was, and United Continental in 2012. So, gosh, that's just going to be really a disruption. I mean, the other another thing I'm, I'm just concerned about, Jay, is is this new airline is going to have uh, for this larger Alaska will have 40 percent of the U.S. mainland to Hawaii market locked up. I mean, uh, I, I work for, you know, when I when I think of the Biden Justice Department, that just sounds like a lot of concentration there and, and a reason why we should block this and promote competition. There is regulatory risk for sure. Um, so you're, you know, dedicating a lot of time and effort to, uh, you know, trying to get this through. And it's probably, I mean, well, I don't know, probably, but but there's certainly a uh, some level of risk that the Justice Department does exactly to this, what they did to JetBlue uh, Spirit and, you know, just sue to stop it. So yeah, good good point there. Another interesting thing is that they're going to keep the brand separate, but they're going to integrate the operation. So they're going to have a single airline operating certificate. So don't think of this as like, you know, IEG in Europe or Air France KLM, where you have like a, an umbrella company. Not like that at all. In fact, it's, it's very hard to do in the US because of union politics and whatnot. But you are going to have to integrate the workforces. Yeah. Uh, Common the, the example that they used were, was the hotel industry. And I was looking yeah. into this. Marriott is, is an example of a company. They have multiple brands, but then behind behind the curtain, as Alaska CEO uh, Ben Minicucci put it, you know, they are they have single union contracts, um, single management. So that's the best example I know of. I mean, can you think of a good airline example? Not with a single AOC, unless, I mean, you have like within the IAG group, you have, uh, I think, you know, Level operates under the Iberia AOC. I mean, there are, you know, there are things like that, but uh, something of this size, not off the top of my head. No, no. so you could see the awkwardness of, uh, you know, okay, we want to move this 787 in peak summer season over from Honolulu to Seattle, but it's going to have the Hawaii livery flying from Seattle you know, Alaska, Seattle hub to, to London or wherever. So it can get a little bit awkward. Obviously there's, you know, some costs involved in that too. You know, you're kind of keep keeping the brand separate. That's uh complexity of costs. So, so that's, yeah, that's kind of, kind of interesting that they, uh, you know, Hawaiian does have a, uh, you know, very, very revered brand, especially in Hawaii. So you can sort of see why they would want to do it. But, but again, it's just another layer of cost and complexity. Absolutely. Though, you know, Alaska management was pretty confident in their comments that the revenue benefits outweigh the complexity and added costs. And they're not insignificant. The 60 million in cost disenergies from integrating the labor groups. Um, I was reading and I think it's uh, Alaska pilots flying the 737 on the, the highest pay rung earn 4% more than Hawaiian pilots flying the A321. So all of those Hawaiian pilots will be brought up to Alaska's pay rates. So that's definitely a cost dissynergy for this merger. Yeah. And, and let's be frank, a lot of the synergies that come from airline mergers are on the revenue side. I think that's m much more the case than on the cost side. And if you have a merger, even with the JetBlue Spirit situation, you're essentially eliminating a competitor and they wouldn't, you know, use those 
words. Uh, they would they would phrase it differently. But you know, end of the day, that's what's happening is you're eliminating a competitor on a route like let's say you know northeast of Florida, market northeast of Florida, which 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 results in considerable pricing power, additional pricing power for JetBlue. In this situation, there's just not a lot of overlap. I mean, yeah, there's a few, you know, West Coast of Hawaii routes where you'll be able to command. So I was higher... reading, I was reading this day. There's only three routes where Alaska and Hawaiian are the only operators. And those are Portland to Honolulu, Portland to Maui, and San Diego to Maui. And the thing is, is None of those are slot restricted markets, gate restricted markets. A competitor can come in. It's going to be interesting to see how the DOJ reads that because there, there, what divestitures could make those another airline fly either market when there's no restrictions either way? And both markets are are arguably small. It's a question of could it even support two? You know, is there room for two competitors? Yeah, yeah. So, so where is the uh, you know where is the synergy there? If it's uh, if you're not really getting it on the revenue side, um, you know, it's it's there, there, there's some questions there about the, you know, the the overall potential of this deal. So there's that. I should also say that uh, you know, as a counterweight to what we talked about before, you know, Alaska, sort of, I don't want to say they're assuming Hawaiian's going to get back to the glory days of 2017. Maybe they don't need quite that to happen. But let's remember that. During the latter half of the 2010s, during those glory days, Hawaiian benefited enormously from a strong Japanese currency, which made it much cheaper for Japanese visitors to come to Hawaii. And they did in droves and they paid a lot of money. And, you know, at that time, all Nippon wasn't flying A380s. And, you know, there was uh, it was um, I, I think the market is very different today. Now, who knows what's going to happen with the currency? But right now, the yen is very, very weak. Now, if you go flip to the other side, if you look, uh, you know, east to the uh, the continental U.S. and the mainland U.S. as they call it. Well, another thing that Hawaiian benefited from was just if you think about the economies of places like California and Seattle and even Portland during the 2010s, you just had this enormous generation of wealth from the tech industry in particular. It's not just the tech industry. Obviously, West Coast has, you know, all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, everything from entertainment to military to, uh, you know, you can go on and on. But the tech industry in particular now is what does that look like going forward? I mean, a lot of that wealth, that enormous wealth from the tech industry in particular, a lot of that got, a lot of that money got funneled into vacations to Hawaii. Now, does that you know, what does that look like going forward? Um, you know, the tech industry has had some troubles in the past couple of years. I think there's, you know, kind of a new, we've got the new impetus there with artificial intelligence, a lot of new investment going into the Bay Area and stuff like that. And then obviously the LA area have the new space economy emerging with SpaceX. So there's a lot going on, but so I don't want to, you know, dismiss, I don't, I don't want to say that the, uh, you know, you're not going to have uh, people, people are not going to be able to afford to go to Hawaii from California anymore, not at all. But you just don't know if that kind of perfectly, uh, you know, it was just just that that perfect uh, nexus of <laughs> of forces that really benefited Hawaii in, in in the late 2010s. I don't know that that ever comes back. It might, but there's there's a gamble there. There absolutely is a gamble, but I'd I'd phrase it like like we're look, like we look at corporate travel right now, and I know we're supposed to be taking the negative side right now, but I I love playing the the other hand here. Um, 
corporate travel may not be back today and may never, quote unquote, return to the profile it was pre-pandemic. I'm going to say the same corporate travel, just flip it for Hawaii travel. But as the population grows, as more people come, it will eventually grow past that level it once was. Maybe it won't be the same growth profile it once was, but there is and will continue to be robust demand for Hawaii. Uh, and I think that's what Alaska is betting on. Now, like you said, it might not be the golden days of the late 2010s, but it's it's solid. And we've seen if you look over past the 30, 40 years, I mean, Hawaii has long been an aspirational destination for West Coast residents. And I, I don't see that changing dramatically. Right now. Now, I should also say uh, West Coast real estate prices. I think that's a big deal, too. Like they just they you know, they just went completely wild <laughs> in the uh, like in 2021. Um, and then, you know, I think they were even during the 2010s, they, a place like Seattle, they're, they're just, there's, there's not, there's not as much real estate wealth there uh, right now as well. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how much of a factor that is in demand. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, maybe I'm overstating that, but it's, you know, something to think about when you think of you, now you just made a great point. We kind of missed it when we talked about the, uh, you know, sort of the pros of this deal. It is true that Alaska because they recognize that a lot of corporate travel is lost, they want to, it, it's probably behooves them to push more into the leisure market. And by buying Hawaiian, you do become a bigger percentage of your airline becomes leisure. However, on the other hand, since we're arguing the con side here, uh, it is true that, you know, your margins are probably, you know, that's your, your margins are, are just very, very high in Seattle. Uh, if you make less of your, ASM Seattle based, then just by nature, your margins are going to come down unless you can replicate margins like that in Honolulu, which is going to be much harder. Um, you know, which is not to say, you know, like I said, they did, they did in 2017, they did, they did have incredible high margins, but, uh, but there is that risk of, you know, if you, if you didn't do anything, if you just kept the airline as is and sort of focus, kept, kept Seattle as, you know, the biggest part of this and just, just the big, biggest overall chunk, then you sort of, you're guaranteeing yourself, you know, really, really high margins, uh, assuming that you can, you know, it's probably easier to maintain that than, than to try to, uh, you know, go off to Honolulu and try to, try to, uh, you know, match the margins over there. So again, that's, that's a risk that your margins are going to come down by being less Seattle centric. Well, that's, I mean, that is the con case. This asks, adds a lot of risk for Alaska, which has been executing white quite well on its strategy. And uh, I know we're, we're, we're spinning the con, but Alaska did very well with the Virgin America merger. The integration went smooth. They delevered quickly after that deal went through. They regained their investment grade credit rating. So there's a management team that can pull this off. I would say it's Alaska. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I, I... It ultimately did work out for them. I agree. I mean, it was a very difficult integration, I think. I mean, I think it was, there were a lot of headaches. Hopefully they, you know, the Alaska, they say they learned from those, uh, you know, those trials. Uh, so, and it is, you know, it's definitely good having that experience under their belt as they take on this new challenge with Hawaiian. But it, yeah, mergers are not easy. In fact, the, uh, well, I I want to go into the JetBlue merger as a different topic, but I think the JetBlue Spirit merger is going to be particularly difficult, uh, you know, integration-wise because the cultures are so different and whatnot, and the products are so different. But, but just the larger point here being that, uh, yeah, airline, you know, merge merging two airlines is 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 not easy. Absolutely not. 
With that, I think we're going to leave it there. Listeners, there will be much more to come about the Hawaiian Alaska-Hawaiian deal in the months ahead. Um, don't expect any big decisions immediately. We've got shareholder approval coming, a vote coming in the first quarter. Then there's the specter of a DOJ challenge. Maybe there'll be a trial again. We don't know. So there's a lot There's a lot to come on this. In the meantime, feel free to email myself at er at skift.com. Email jay at js at skift.com. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, good discussion. And uh, yeah, stay, stay tuned for more on Hawaii and Alaska. We'll see what ultimately happens. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.